Hello, welcome to Cultivating Conversations. I'm Claire Nazir. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon were perhaps an early blueprint of what we now call a vertical farm. Whilst the modern version lacks the grace of this wonder of the ancient world, with its imagery of cascading vegetation brimming from ziggurat terraces, vertical farms today have adopted a more futuristic design. From the outside, they are just huge containers. However, step inside and immediately you're bathed in coloured light from thousands of LEDs, with greenery sprouting to the heavens, nursed by robots and tracked by large computing power. This increasingly familiar sight will mark the 21st century as one way we addressed fresh food supply for an urbanised population. In 2021, the global vertical farm market was valued at 4.34 billion US dollars, according to a report published earlier this year by Grandview Design. It is expected to expand at a compound annual growth rate of 25.5% from 2022 to 2030. What is currently a small share of agriculture could become a future high hitter. So why is there so much expectation around these contemporary hanging market gardens? In this show, I chat to Craig Ratajic, CEO of Massachusetts-based high-tech vertical farm company Crop One. Craig, I've read your resume and it's so impressive. It really is. So from being in the armed forces and then being prolific in soybeans, you now have entered the world of vertical farming. Why a leap from one to the other? From my perspective, I just see it as a natural transition, to be honest with you. You saw the military intelligence, so national security, global security, but also I would say on the food security side. Soybeans aren't everything. And that's a whole nother conversation on what soy, the good, the bad of the soy industry as well. Wonderful industry, but it's in everything. But I see really attractive to the vertical farming industry is really the advancement of the technology that can be used. Uh, people are aware of the fourth industrial revolution in agriculture. We're using things like blockchain, IoT, and AI. I would say vertical farming is really the fifth generation or the fifth industrial revolution in agriculture because we're using things like predictive analytics, robotics. And this is kind of really, it's like a capstone of my career going into the space. But as importantly as this, what's attractive about the vertical farming industry is the fact that it's really the future of how people are going to be fed. Uh, with 10 billion people coming online here in a couple of decades and people wanting cleaner, safer, fresher, more local food, all forms of uh, farm food production are going to be accepted because that's going to be a big demand on the world's resources, natural resources. But this vertical farming space is just, I think, the best place. There's several other reasons why it's the best place to be and the best way to produce food. Because you control, you really control everything in this space when you're making food inside of a vertical farm. Very little waste is coming out of the building. Everything I call the nine R's in our, in our industry. So you got the right amount of water right amount of nutrients, right amount of CO2, humidity, temperature, your cultivar plant species, uh, amount of stress. You really control everything inside this building. So that was really attractive to me in the fact that in a big outdoor ag world, the environment has a big say on what you can produce and what you can't produce. And you're trying to use technologies like biotechnology or gene editing 
to stave off those environmental pressures. But for us, we're controlling all of it. And it's just not, I'm, a, not, I'm not a control nut, but I just see it as a way to really get food in all people's hands across the planet. So it just, it just kind of uh, just resonates with my, my, my background, what I've done. And I just see it as a great place to be. Why Crop One? Great opportunity. I tell you this, they, uh, they approach things differently. I won't give you the, uh, the recipe for the secret sauce here, but a very strong company on a technology perspective, but also on a scalability perspective. And as you know, even in the row crop industry, when I grew up, yeah, you could raise a family maybe off of 500 acres. Now it takes maybe closer to 2,000, 2,500 acres. So you have to scale. The same thing in this industry. So crop one, just happened to come by at the, the right time, the opportunity did. But when you really look under the hood uh, of what's going on here, and, and you'll see some things that uh, will be coming public here in the next couple of months on this big project in Dubai, is that you have to go big. Um, small kiosks or things along those lines aren't going to feed the world food. So you really have to take what you know and make it valuable for everybody. Tell me one technological leap which has really made vertical farming scalable or commercially viable. Is there one particular thing where you go, that is the magic wand which has created this amazing opportunity for people to be fed in this way? Yeah, that took some thought behind it, to be honest with you, right? Because I mentioned before, you have to really control the, the humidity in a room. You have to control the water, the nutrients and everything else. But I would really say the lighting. The lighting that's used in these facilities has become more controllable in itself, but also the power consumption and the way you can position the lighting so that you get optimal production out of your products. So the lighting has been, I would say, a really pivotal point in the transition of this industry from being a novelty to something that's more commercial. Let's pick up on what Craig discusses here. The so-called green revolution relied on fertilizers, pesticides, and modern irrigation practices, and helped global agricultural production keep pace with population growth. Today, there's evidence of a shift in focus from massive landholdings doing battle with the forces of nature toward indoor controlled environment agriculture, or CEA, where LED lighting is its cornerstone allowing plants to grow indoors without sunlight. The LED light has been around for some time, in its modern-day guise since the 1960s. However, in 2010, their redesign became a viable option for indoor horticulture. Precise tuning of LED lighting provides different wavelengths of light according to the needs of the specific crop and growth stage. This produces peak yields for fruits, vegetable flowers and other indoor crops, whilst using less resources to grow a premium product locally. And by reducing transportation time, product shelf life becomes far greater. What I love about um, ag tech and the innovation surrounding companies like yourselves is that you're always pushing the boundaries. You're always looking for the next solution. Your thinking is so creative. And that's not just leadership. That's the team you have uh, behind you as well. Do you continue your R&D alongside your, your work? Well, you have to. That's uh, about the meaning of words, right? So what is R&D, research and development? 
It's not a separate discipline. So when we build our farms, those farms are commercially scalable, but they're also are in D sites because you're capturing all this information, not from every plant. That would just be almost insurmountable with today's technologies. But every commercial facility is something that it's its own R&D site. So you can track all these factors I mentioned before between the, the water, the nutrients, the light, CO2, et cetera. The consumers want more than just leafy greens. They want fruit. They want strawberries, blueberries, whatever you can produce. There's always a demand for it. If you look at some other uh, strawberry industry, the strawberry industry, there's one company in New York is charging about $6 per strawberry grown in a vertical farm, yet selling. And they got a large investment as well. So when people say, well, this is not workable, you really have to understand the world. You have to understand consumers. Uh, am I willing to pay $6 for a strawberry? Maybe not every day. But I do know this, the strawberries I get are from the other side of the country. And by the time I get them into the New England area, you better consume them within a couple of days. Otherwise, they're going to turn green and fuzzy. Having this locally produced food at the highest quality level with the longest shelf life is just an amazing development for humanity. What crops respond best to vertical farming? Are there those, would you say, these are the, the regal sets that really just thrive in this environment? You really have to look at the economics and how to make that not just something that will work for consumers, but also works for the company because you can't sell something that's put in your company further in the red. The cultivars and seeds that we use in the CEA industry, controlled environmental agriculture industry, like greenhouses, vertical farming, is really seeds that are bred for outdoor, are bred for outside agriculture production. Uh, we don't need that. We don't need this all this extra protection. There are companies out there that are getting in our industry, developing cultivars or plants just for us uh, that are still offered the consumer everything they're looking for, plus some. Uh, so that is why I, it's not a vision, because I think it's going to happen sooner than later that you start to see more fruits and other vegetables being produced in vertical farming platforms. Now, we're at the very beginning stage. I would say we're where Microsoft was back in the early 70s in the vertical farming industry. Uh, we've got 80% of the problem solved. This next 20% of the problems are going to be very complicated. I'm 100% confident that the resources will become available for us to solve these other 20% of the problems. And obviously, you're in a community here. You're, you're not an island. There are many others on the same mission. And being mission aligned within this crowd is so important, isn't it? It's sharing that data, sharing that information for the greater good. Vertical farming solves so many other environmental issues, including just producing locally. And you just spoke about that in terms of strawberries traveling from one part of the country to another. And the US is massive, not so big in the UK, but still in my supermarkets, there are strawberries from Spain. No, I agree. And that's, that's exactly right. As the world looks at where carbon is coming from, most of the places we are sourcing our energy from are green energy sources. So our carbon footprint is extremely minimal. We have a goal of being carbon neutral by 2026 in our farms. And in talking to our, our developers and so forth, that is achievable. It's not going to be simple, but it is very achievable for us to, to do that. So you're right about that. The, the miles and all these disruptions in supply chains, when COVID hit, for example, and frankly, we couldn't find toilet paper here in the United States in some stores. That is earth shaking, I guess I would say, because 
this is America, right? You can't find toilet paper because of, of something uh, that's out there. There's a fundamental flaw somewhere in that bigger system. But vertical farming on the food side solves all that. Yeah, our industries in aggregate are very small right now, very nascent stages. But as our commercial operations become more prevalent throughout the world, you'll just see these things as getting bigger and blossoming all over the place. Because once you have that farm factor down, then it's just a copy and paste type of functionality. One thing I have noticed by talking to people in in your sector is that everything is moving at such a pace, even through COVID it was. And that's incredible. So you were appointed CEO of Crop One in 2020. What have you seen change? How has the landscape changed for you over the last, well, year and a half? There's always this saying, the need for speed. Uh, People want to see things yesterday rather than waiting five years from now. Regrettably, as things evolve around the world, like we're seeing in uh, Eastern Europe, people are going to start seeing the need that they want something here and now. They don't want to be waiting in food lines like we have in history of the world. They see the need for safe food uh, and get access to the feed their families. That is what's expedited here over the last couple months. But even in a short time frame, it's not a race because, again, when you start looking at the aggregate production, the vertical farming industry in the world food production, at least the leafy greens, for example, were less than 0.0025% um, because nobody has really had this commercial footprint where it's out there producing massive volumes. So I think overall, you'll see that go quicker. People have been in R&D phase for the last several years. Now everybody's getting to the marketplace to execute. And I think that's what you're going to see, this massive announcement of this farm here, this farm there, and this farm here, and so forth and so forth. Eventually, it's just going to become noise because it's going to be so many going up around the world that it's not going to have the allure it had in the past. The vertical farming business model centers on efficiency. Certainly, this is the case for Craig's company, Crop One. From the use of renewable energy to eliminating food waste within their production and delivery, Their modular growing methods cultivate up to 400 times more produce in one acre of land compared to conventional farming. And it's this modular design that allows farms to be placed anywhere, stacking them vertically and in doing so increasing land use efficiency. This streamlined supply chain, along with the fact that water use is 95% less than field grown plants, means that the Middle East is an obvious marketplace. You mentioned earlier Dubai, um, the Middle East, I presume, is quite a prime target for entrepreneurs and businesses with vertical farms. When you start looking at where food comes from in the UAE, it's coming from the United States. It's coming from Europe. The carbon miles to feed people that want good food is phenomenal. There's no availability for waste. By waste, I mean water. Water is a precious resource. So the vertical farm... Having it in some place like Dubai, where water is a precious resource, so it's all being used by vertical farm. Food is produced locally, so there's you take the carbon footprint of this and you almost negate it uh, altogether. And it's fresh, locally produced food, and it's going to have longer shelf life. So there are absolutely no negatives to this industry. I mean, people could probably debate me on this if they wanted to, but my 40 years in the ag industry, that was another one of the attractive factors of this. I cannot yet find a negative for this industry. Is there anything that you can pinpoint which is maybe a gray area when it comes to 
exporting or working in these different environments which are not local to your familiar territory? Yeah, it's always the power supply. I mean, you mentioned before about what has changed our industry. And I said the lighting, which is true, but also I would say power, the ability to source power from clean energy. You know, you put that much agriculture production in one room. I'm not sure if you travel to the Amazon or someplace on the equator, especially in the jungle, it gets pretty intense. And that's what would happen here. If you were to lose power in one of these facilities, that would be a management risk or an operational risk that has to be mitigated. And we're putting practices in place like everybody else. I'm making ensuring that that room that you're growing these vegetables in don't turn into a petri dish because that could happen pretty quickly. So that's one of the big operational risks of these facilities. But other than that, if we can put these facilities like we are in Dubai and use electric trucks that are powered with renewable energy, and it's going back and forth on its own, amazing feat of of taking all the technology that we've developed over the last hundred years in this country and agricultural production practices and intensifying them in a vertical farm. Good leaders are good listeners. They ask big questions, but also they have to have a vision. What I see as drivers for leadership in our industry, first of all, you have to have fortitude or perseverance. You got to keep going because every day is a new day and it is complicated and trying to make these operations doable and economic and always the shareholders interest in mind. So never give up uh, on these things, which is so exciting about this type of industry in my military background. And I was a farm kid as well. And your boy, I tell you what, you can never give up because once you give up, it's over. And that's a time when somebody else could come in with fortitude to make things happen. Also, I would say in our industry, the leadership needs to really have a global mindset. It's nice to produce something locally and try to get that started. But again, it is a race in our industry to a degree. So you really have to figure out where those places around the world that you can build farms, that you can compete with other imports of food products and move that forward. I would say most of all as well is discipline. You can't keep chasing these unicorns or whatever you want, rabbits out there, whatever else. You've got to maintain focus and execution on what you're trying to get done because, again, that's what people who are investing money in your companies are looking for is for something to happen. Not on something 10 years from now, but something within a very short period of time. So when you do listen, listen to your employees and your organization is critical to ensure that, again, it's not just about making a dollar for the company or making many dollars for the company. It's making it a great place to live and a great place to work for the employees where they can feel impassioned about what they're doing and come to work every day feeling that they are changing the world. They are at the very beginning of a new food production system. And as well, we have to listen to what's going on around the world, the geopolitical situations, the financial risk, where we could put farms, not put farms. Make sure you know that the landscape you're getting yourself into is not going to really hamper the development of your operation at this particular time. When you're larger, much larger, and have a much more uh, expansive operation with hundreds of facilities around the world, then you're still going to be cognizant of those type of risks, but you can probably manage those things better. In a nascent industry, you have to be a bit more cautious of what's out there and what uh, what the world has to offer. Do you think the way uh, the world is going at the moment, post-COP26 and the new regulations, new legislation coming in, that actually it does support businesses like yourself? That's exactly right. We're talking about that internally in our company. And um, every question or every concern that's brought up in these type of meetings, COP26, for example, and others, vertical farming is a solution. I'm not sure if it's at the table uh, as a point of discussion, which is where we and our industry need to be. To be honest with you, yeah, outside agriculture is there. There's a lot of people involved in outside agriculture. If you look at the populations around the world, 
shoot, what, 40% of the world's population is probably involved in agriculture and food of some type. And if you move that to indoor agriculture, that creates a whole other uh, slurry of, of issues for folks, unemployment, et cetera. But in our industries, they offer a, a better work environment, a much more uh, skilled work environment, I would say. And like anything else, people will find uh, opportunities everywhere to, to make this happen. But it is a very viable solution to all these issues from climate change because weather is not going to stay stagnant. Weather, we're seeing more extreme weather patterns. We're seeing stresses on water. We're seeing stresses on soil demands. We're seeing 10 billion people wanting to eat fresh, clean, safe food and try and do that through the historical agriculture production practices is going to be an extreme challenge and extremely costly when vertical farming provides that solution. You're part of the solution and, you know, good luck with the challenge because it's absolutely enormous. It really is. But I think vertical farming has its place. And even just down to local city blocks where, you know, local people just need that fresh fruit and veg, which is not imported. Or, as you said, the Middle East, where sunshine is at a premium. So it joins hand in hand with renewables, was exactly ticking so many boxes and again, providing food with a much lower carbon footprint. So what you're doing is immense, Craig, and I'd really just salute you for you and your team and just onward and upward. Thank you very much for your conversation. Claire, I appreciate it as well. It's been great. I just love this industry. and There's no place but up. That was Craig Ratajic at the helm of Crop One a vertical farm company developing a truly international business portfolio. My thanks to Craig for his time and candid conversation. For more information on Crop One, check out chasemanglobal.com. Until next time, thank you for listening. I'm Claire Nazir, and this is Cultivating Conversations. Cultivating Conversations.